Pigweed here. Today we review an IPA and discuss Mark Twain. In conversation with Big Weed and Crow Hill. Good evening, Crow Hill. Good evening, Big Weed. What's on your mind? I'm a little disappointed in uh, in myself and, and sort of in both of us. I got a we got a, a letter from a listener uh, that we misrepresented a Led Zeppelin song in one of our previous episodes. <laughs> okay, we was talking about uh, the immigrant song. Yeah, and uh, and you said is that the one that goes da na na. And I, yeah. and I just sort of said yes, but no, 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 no. Immigrant song is dun da 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 dun da dun da 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 dun right? And then Cashmere is the one that goes da 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 So anyway, I just wanted to get that cleared up, and thank you for the for the listener who wrote and clarified that. All right, that's all clear. Yes, old Mark Twain. Yeah. So we have, well, let's drink a beer. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite authors, by the way. I mean, I, I really enjoy Mark Twain. But all right, so what we got here is What You Want, an India Pale Ale from our friends at Hysteria Brewing. And the good thing about What You Want is if you order it and Shannon is there, then she sings a little bit of uh, What okay. You Want yeah, yeah. for you. So uh, right. anyway, it's a bit of a hazy IPA. It certainly is. Yeah. It's like orange juice. <laughs> pretty pretty strong hop aroma. And yeah, quite cloudy. Um. Well, so uh, after just finishing a very bitter Dale's Pale, yeah, this is this comes off really sweet. Yeah, I know it, it's uh-huh. it's almost like this one almost doesn't taste hoppy uh, at all yeah. compared to the Dale's Pale. It, ale. Yeah, you just yeah. mostly get uh, uh, a malty sweetness mm-hmm. and the the hop but, aroma and the hop flavor, but right. not a lot of bitterness. No, very easy drinking. I mean it. You know, it looks like orange juice. Honestly, it sort of tastes juicy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what they mean when they say juicy. So it's a 6.3, and uh, yeah, good job there. Uh, Hysteria, yeah. And if you're in the folks. Columbia area, drop by. Uh, on a Monday night? Yeah. <laughs> drop by, say, <laughs> say hi to Shannon, and order what you want. All right. So um, I think this this is part of the series here. Yes, it is. It's, All right. So uh, what's this? The... Pigweed and Crow Hibble, PNC's Shortcut to the Classics. Yes, except usually we call in some help on these. Yes, and we, we would not have the show. Uh, I mean, we, we have a recurring guest, our literary contributor, Longinus. We could just get in here before we get into this uh, Mark Twaininess. Here, cheers. Cheers. I still got my damn pail. Okay. Well, <laughs> well there's, there's a what you want over there if you're ready for it. So there you go. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, where we read the shorter works by great authors, and he's one who's famous for both his, his, his most famous for his novels, or maybe not as as famous for his novels as he is for his short stories. Yeah. Course, so Mark Twain and Huck Finn, those are the, those are the big ones. Um, but there's a lot of Tom Sawyer and Huck yeah. Finn. Sorry, sorry. Okay, what did I say? <laughs> Mark. Oh, okay, dumb. So, sorry. Yeah, Tom Sawyer and, and Huck. Yeah, tied up. But he also has some unfinished novels that are kind of interesting. Ah, I've read some of his unfinished things, and they're, they're, they're interesting stories, but they're unfinished. All right, so we took a handful of them, uh, ranging from the very beginning of his career to towards the end of his career, and with a variety of topics, uh, and uh, see if we can cover the scope of Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. 
So let's and get, a little, get a little bit of a flavor of what, what uh, Mark Twain is like. So his earliest, one of his earliest pieces and one of his most famous pieces and the one that put him on the map, 1865, the celebrated jumping frog of Calaveras County. Which is funny because in my edition it says the notorious jumping frog of Calaveras <laughs> County. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what is that? What is that? Edition say for is it the uh, notorious or and it had a different name altogether. This says the notorious. Okay. Jumping, but it was it used to be called the jumping frog of Smith somebody. Yeah, right. So he changed the. Right. Title so this is California, right? Uh, oh, actually, I didn't, even, I didn't even think to ask that question. Where, where <laughs> in the South world is someplace. The Southwest someplace? Okay. Okay. Uh, so, hold on. I'm gonna just, I'll run through the story, then we'll come back and talk about how fun it is. Okay. So, yeah. uh, so uh, the narrator, just call, let's say it's Mark Twain, is sent on by a friend to, in, to, to find out who this Leonidas Smiley is. <laughs> right. And he says, go ask Simon Wheeler, he'll know. And he gets there, and Simon says, <laughs> Simon says well, Reverend Leonidas, hmm, not exactly, but I do know a fellow named Jim Smiley. And goes on to tell about Jim Smiley, who mm -hmm. will bet on anything right. at all. He'll bet on two which bird flies off of a fence post first, and uh, bets on. Dog. And he'll take either side. Of the <laughs> he'll take either side, <laughs> either just side for the sake of betting. Yeah. So, uh, so, so it's it's mostly Simon Wheeler speaking throughout the throughout the book, and at the end, uh, Jim Smiley uh, has this. Famous frog that he has been training to jump. His name is uh, Daniel Webster, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a stranger in town in, in camp. And he says, "I bet this frog will jump any frog." He mm -hmm. says, "I ain't got a frog." Right. Says, well, I'll go get you a frog. <laughs> Volunteers to go dig up a frog from the creek. That's right. <laughs> While he's gone, he fills up uh, Daniel Webster with buckshot, <laughs> buckshot. <laughs> and comes back. And uh, Jim Smiley loses the bet. The stranger leaves, and uh, Jim sees that he's been had. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's it. Except, that's well, it. then the guy, well, and then the guy gets ready to tell another story, and uh, Mark Twain just just says, I'm "Excuse yeah. himself." Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's One thing that's right. kind of interesting to me about this story is who walks around with buckshot that they can pour, <laughs> down, pour down the mouth of a frog. <laughs> you know, I guess it's a mining camp. Maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the funny thing is that uh, this was all a setup by the friend, yeah, who just wanted to put Mark Twain in a room with Jim Smiley, knowing, I mean, with Simon Wheeler, knowing what's going to happen. Knowing he wears ear down with, the, with the, <laughs> yes. whatever story. And he, he realizes he's with. been right. had yes. by his friend midway through the story. Yes. But, what's, why, why is it famous? Why, what, what, you know, why, why did this catapult him to fame in 1865? Well, it's just kind of fun. I mean, Mark Twain has a, has a way with words. And he has yeah. a, a, a good turn of a phrase. I heard that early on in his career, uh, he sent in some stories, and the editor wrote back and said, we have a lovely young editor who's fixing all your spelling and correcting all your grammar. <laughs> and, he wrote, and he wrote back and said, have that woman shot at dawn without benefit of clergy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what, I mean, I, I think, you know, so... Not many people live out west. Yeah. All the readers are back east. Yeah, exactly. And they and want so, to know what it's like. And so, right, this this gives you a taste of that some of of local flavor. He can mm -hmm. tell a great story, and he can figure out how to share an accent and speaking style exactly. rhythm with words. Yeah, he's I mean, a, you he's can able really to get, hear the guy. Yeah, 
he's able to get the local flavor of the dialect and how people spoke and everything like that. It's, it's actually very interesting. And it, you know, sometimes that is hard to read when somebody's trying to write write another dialect and they're and they're putting in words with funny spellings and everything else. And it's it's difficult. I don't find it so difficult with Mark Twain. I don't know uh -huh. why, but I, I generally speaking, I get what he's what he's trying to do. Right. So he, he so um, you know he bet on he bet on dog race, horse race. He bet on which bug would cross the line. You know he bet on anything. Yeah. Uh, Par, uh, Parson Walker's wife laid very sick once for a good while. It seemed that she weren't going to save her. But one morning, come in and uh, Smiley up and asked him how she was, and he was. She said she was doing considerable better. Thank the Lord for his infinite mercy. And come on so smart with the blessing of providence that she'd get well yet. And Smiley, before he thought, says, well, I'll rest two and a half that she don't. So he's, 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 going, to, he's going to bet the parson two and a half whatevers yeah. that his wife won't recover. <laughs> <laughs> Even though she's clearly getting better. But he's yeah. just like, well, you know, even if it's all awful. And then the next part of that, right, then there's the dog. Uh, Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Now I wonder if the fact that the dog's name is Andrew Jackson and the frog's name is Daniel Webster resonated at the time in some particular way that you know for us this just seems like old timey names. You know what I mean? Or, or oh. this could have been names that were familiar to people at the time. Anyway, so the dog's strategy was to look like he wasn't going to fight until the bets racked up, and then he'd bite the other dog's hind legs and then hang on. Until he won the fight. Uh, yeah, except that worked really well until he was set against a dog with no hind legs. I <laughs> 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 lost him to a circular saw. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, go for it. Well, I was, I was, I was just going to sort of uh, uh, go down a little, uh, go down a level and talk about something a little more serious because. I think there is a, like a, a serious theme here. He talks about this guy that just will gamble over everything and anything. Yeah, yeah. and and it's he expresses it as, as as a ridiculous trait. Yeah, but then as you were saying that th this story is read by the folks out east that want to know about what's going out west, and the idea of the folks going out west or going out west with this big huge dream they're actually gambling on their life or gambling yeah. that they will find something yeah i'm glad you brought that up that. That, i think that's i think that's a good point because the the you know the go west young man mm -hmm. only appealed to certain kinds of people yeah. and they were probably the kind of people who were going to bet on a frog or a, you know a bug or a bird or yeah, whatever they're, yeah they're gambling they're, their take, lives, they're really. taking a gamble with their life, and they'll take a gamble on the bird too. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's very good. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know, was was that kind of representation of folksiness? Uh, was that new? I mean, who uh, who who's uh, writing in eighteen sixty? Melville is writing, right? I mean, right. Uh, so. Well, they say, you know, when you talk about the writing of dialect, mm -hmm. a lot of folks will point to Frederick Douglass as being the first one to start to capture a dialect. Uh -huh. and, and, and that was what? His, his books were coming out uh, 20 years before this okay. short story was coming out. But I think Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, uh, he actually, you know, he, he becomes a master of it, right? Yeah. He's the one that really introduces it to 
you know, a wider audience, and he, he is. Not saying that Frederick Douglass isn't a master of it either. I'm just saying that this is another guy that yeah. does it so well, and it's very difficult to do it. But as as Greg said, he says it's easy to read. It's because he does it so because well. He does it so well. And the thing is, <clears throat> while I would, while the Easterners are hearing this uneducated speak, mm-hmm. uh, Twain, these guys aren't are, are, aren't dummies. Yeah. Right. So for Twain, so like the real the Reuben is the guy from out, outside the camp. Like he doesn't know anything that's going on. And uh, guess what? He's one that bests everybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah. But so so. And sometimes I think you know you you, you hear a, a heavy Southern drawl or something, and you you. You know, you might take you might, might knock a couple IQ points off yeah, mentally, exactly. only to find out, you know, actually that guy's the mayor of yeah. town, and <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. It's just a, they just it's a, a, just have a certain sing-song way of speaking. It is definitely a northern prejudice. Yes. So if somebody has a southern accent, you think they're stupid, right? And, and it's so, absolutely not. So true, there's a little bit of that going on here, yeah. but I don't think that that Twain ever, uh, you know, treats them. But I think I think what you were talking about before about. The uh, you know the the guy who seems to be stupid pulling one over on the smart guy. Yeah. I think that's a common yeah. thread that yeah. runs through Mark Twain. It's actually something that my grandfather was he, any kind of story that showed the country guy uh, showing up the city guy, yeah, or right, the, right, the seemingly right, yeah. unintelligent guy showing up the smart guy. Any kind of story like that, he latched onto that like this dog latched onto hind legs, and he would tell those stories. Over, he had lots of stories about that, you know, uh-huh. about professors buying globes that were too big to fit through their front doors, you know, you know <laughs> okay. just other kinds of things where. Smart people were acting stupid, and stupid people were acting uh, smart. He loved those kind of stories. Well, speaking mm-hmm. of accents and capturing dialects, let's move on to a true story. Ooh. Uh, and this 1874. Yeah. Uh, that one's a tough one. That is a tough one, yeah. right? So, uh, so just give the give the nuts and bolts, and then we'll we'll discuss. You guys. Yeah. So, true story is they're talking to. Uh, uh, is she still Aunt a Rachel? slave? Is she still no. not, not okay? Not she's a son. servant. She's, she's a servant in the house, and they ask, you know, did you have any sorrow in your life? And he says, she says, are you serious? Exactly. And then and then she goes through. How is it that you've lived sixty years and never had any trouble? Because she's she's, she's always very cheerful. Yeah, right. She's yeah. always very always cheerful, laughing. always laughing, and has a put on, has a very cheerful disposition. And he assumes. Because she has a cheerful disposition that she's had an easy life, which is absolutely not the case. Yeah, and, and she then, says, uh... And then she goes through the kind of crap that she's been through, and it's horrendous. Like yeah. she, she have five kids? How many kids? Seven kids. Seven, Seven kids, okay. And lost all of them. They were all sold off, and she wa- wanted, like, one of them she wanted to hold on to, and they took him away, too, and he was gone for a long time. She finally met him many, many years later. Well, she, um, yeah, because she, she's, she's, uh, uh, she's cooking at the Confederate, I mean, yeah, the, the she's, Union she's, camp. Yeah, right? she's working. The Union have the, come through. So there she's, I think she's in Virginia. Right. Mentioned the, Virginia and Maryland. And her son, comes her son had volunteered. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, so, so she, she's cooking for the officers. Right. It was the, sort of commandeered the, the plantation that yes. she was on. Mm-hmm. And she starts cooking for him. Right. And then, right. And then the, the, the uh, black cavalry troops come in. Yeah. Right. And and her son is one of the yeah. one of the soldiers, and yeah. So she finally runs into him again, and she knows him by what a scar on his head. <laughs> one, uh, well, see, this is this is more than I can read. 
a welt on your on his wrist and the and a scar on his head. But uh, so it's all written. Okay, and the last line is, "Oh no, Mister C, I ain't had no trouble." <laughs> a little bit of sarcasm there. So yeah, it's like, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know. I was a slave my entire life until yeah. about five minutes ago. And my children so, were taken away from me. So other than that, no, I really had, I really had no trouble at all in my life, <laughs> right. uh, but thanks for asking. Her husband was taken away, and her children were taken away, and she only saw one of them ever again. It's just a horrible it story. It is, it is. And, and what Mark Twain often does is there's like a kind of a jokey punchline or an anecdotal thing at the end. Well, you don't get off on this one here. Yeah. You, you, you see, I, I think the disregard of, of white people at the time going, you know, yeah, not, not having considered that. The yeah. idea that your life has been pretty awesome. Yeah. It's like, you already, you know she's been a slave almost her entire life. And, you did, and still right, you ask a question right, like to, that. right yeah. to, to be so blind to yes. the circumstances I know. of slavery that you would just say, well, she seems happy now. I guess she's always been. Everything's been good. <laughs> now, all right, so dialect-wise, the whole thing is written in, in an illiterate slave yes. English. Yeah. And it takes a little bit, but... Not too long, it's, right? You yeah. kind of pick it out, and you kind of, you start to hear it. That one was mm -hmm. a little harder. to read. It was read, definitely harder than but, Smiley, but yes, a little harder to read. But <laughs> but he does such a good job in portraying the dialect that it it, you, it comes across fairly fairly well. So I think that's uh, that's another thing that's common in Mark Twain, by the way, is poking fun at the ridiculous attitudes that people had towards slaves and slaves and freemen, and especially in things like when you had apparently. The rule was if you had a drop of, of black blood, then you were a slave, right? And he had stories of people being switched at birth, you uh, know, uh -huh, and yeah. in, indistinguishable. But one of them had, you know, a great-grandfather who was black, and, and, and then he should have been a slave, but they got switched, and he becomes the one. And so he's frequently calling attention to the idiocy of the slave rules. You, know, you have a, a slave state next to a free state, and the Mississippi River shifts after a storm, and now all of a sudden a certain area has shifted from being a free to a slave or vice versa. So that's another big theme in, uh, in Mark Twain. Yeah. And so, yeah, so this is, uh, you know, less than 10 years after the end of the Civil War. And right. So I think that's a commentary on the slavery situation and so now what do we have here i think we're i think we're on to the adam and eve <laughs> yeah so i thought one thing that was remarkable about this one was how many stereotypes of male and female behavior exactly. uh, were thrown into this one. so he so the two separate diaries of, i yeah. think this part weren't the actual much longer than this are these were these extracted for this, or is this just sort of pretending to be an extract from... from I think it's pretended, it's pretended to be. I thought, yeah, it was yeah, I, so I thought the original was longer. Anyway, there's extracts from Adam's diary and extracts from Eve's diary. Right, so, well, since Adam was born first, we'll go... Uh, was created <laughs> first. Right. We'll go with him. And um, So here, just read, read, just read... So the first, very first entry is uh, Monday, and this is Adam speaking... 
The new creature with the long hair is a good deal in the way. It is always hanging around and following me about. I don't like this. I'm not used to company. I wish it would stay with the other animals. Cloudy today, wind in the east. Think we shall have rain. We? Where did I get that word? I remember now. The new creature used it. <laughs> and that, that sets the tone for most of it, right? Yeah. She's annoying. She's always naming things, mm -hmm. putting signs up, following him around. Right. Uh, we're being, taking joy in every little thing. Like, yeah, that's uh, right. So what was all, all this business about beauty? Right. Yeah, like like seeing seeing a butterfly and being all excited about it and wanting to pet it and you know have fun with the butterfly, and he's he's just much more practical and kind of getting getting on with, with his life. Yeah, the new creature eats too much fruit. We're going to run short, most likely. We again. What what is with this word? Good deal of fog this morning. I do not go out in the fog myself. The new creature does. It goes out in all weathers and stumps right in with its muddy feet and talks. He used to be so pleasant and quiet here. <laughs> so, he... I don't know, we'll do both of them. They come back with the, with the uh, stereotypes. So then, uh, then, we, then the snake part comes in. Although it's really kind of strange, it's, it's hard to tell as you're reading the diary exactly when the fall happens. There's, there's like an extended time where, like, Eve is eating the apples and Adam isn't eating the apples yet. And it's, it's, it's an interesting yeah, yeah. Well, commentary. Yeah. So, so, so uh, she says the snake advises her to try the fruit of that tree and says it will result in a great and fine and noble education. Mm -hmm. I told her there would be another result, too. It would introduce death into the world. That was a mistake. It better than keep the remark to myself. It only gave her an idea so she could save the sick buzzard and furnish uh, meat to the despondent lions and tigers, <laughs> I advised her to keep away from the tree. She says she would, not foresee trouble. We'll immigrate, emigrate. <laughs> so, so, so then he does. He does leave, and then he goes. Okay, tigers ate my horse. Uh, I guess. I guess she did it. <laughs> this is another thing that comes up from time to time in Mark Twain: is trying to trying to figure out how in the world an animal like a tiger that's a carnivore and is clearly designed to be a carnivore could possibly have lived in Eden where there was supposed to be no death, right? So that, that, that kind of thing, like, what's the purpose of a fly? Why, what, a fly lives off of death. How could there be a fly in a perfect world? Yeah, right. she, says, she says she likes tigers because their breath smells sweet because they only eat strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is a little bit of Twain making fun of the whole, yeah. you know, Garden of Eden myth. You right. Know? Mm -hmm. uh, but... Uh, so, but however, so he's aggravated by having her around, uh, and then at the end, oh, there's a long bit about the kids. So she's, so Cain's born, and she's like, "What is that thing? Well, it doesn't it, look it, like it. Doesn't look like them at all." Yeah. So and um, and Adam thinks that it's a kangaroo. At first I, or I also thought it was a fish and wanted to throw it in the yeah. water, see if it could swim. She's like, <laughs> "Yeah." There is sort of an amusing. Uh, they have no experience of the world, yeah. so they, they have no way of understanding a lot of the things that they're confronted with. So some of it's kind of silly, but some of it is, is, uh, is pretty fun. So she has a second kid, Abel, and he goes, all right, I guess they are boys after they started to grow up a little bit. And then, uh, so at the end, it says, I fir at first I thought she talked too much, but now I should be sorry to have that voice fall silent and pass out of my life. Blessed be the chestnut, meaning the fruit, 
Blessed be the chestnut that brought us near together and taught me to know the goodness of her heart and the sweetness of her spirit. Well, there's so, actually a little more to the chestnut than that. Remember, she yeah, she, ch- yeah. she came up with this uh, little story about trying to blame Adam for the fall by saying that the fruit wasn't the fruit that they ate. The fruit was the chestnut, which referred to a bad joke that he had told. Yes. Her. Some yeah. weird kind of twist on that. Yeah. Uh, so... All right, well, let's do, let's do Eve and then... Yeah, so Eve Eve is... The, the tone is, is remarkably different between the two of them. Yeah. Eve is all about relationship and, you know, talking about her desire to be with Adam and what's what's going on, how's going, things going on between them. I was just struck how many things... I don't know why Mark Twain hasn't been canceled yet. Well, you know, I, you know what? When I was trying to find the PDF to, to so I could... Read it at work. Right. Uh, I came across like uh, at Mark Twain, Adam and Eve, and gender roles. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh gosh, somebody in some femlit class is having a good time with the, the yeah. this one, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So here's some examples. I this is Eve speaking. I already begin to realize that the core and center of my nature is love of the beautiful, a passion for the beautiful. Mm-hmm. How about this one? I cannot throw good. Yeah, my my uh, my nieces, my nieces who are expert uh, softball players might uh, take issue with that one. But uh, so I cried a little. That's another thing. Um, today I'm getting better uh, better ideas about distances. Um, Women are terrible at gauging distances. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and then she's she's uh, can can it be that it was designed and manufactured for such ungentle work? So this. There's, yep. um, she loves to talk, yep. and I had to do the talking because he was shy. I cannot learn to throw straight. He talks very little. There's just and, and there's she, stereotype like, after stereotype. I think maybe he's not here. too bright because he, he doesn't talk a lot, and he's going, I don't talk a lot just because I don't feel the need to talk a lot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I had to have company. I was made for it, she right. says yep. in another spot. So it, yes. it just goes on and on. Um, then why is it that I love him? Merely because he is masculine, yeah. I think. At bottom, he is good, and I love him for that. But I could love him without it. If this is this this is the part where I said, "Oh my gosh, he's got to be canceled for this one." Okay, if he should beat me and abuse I me, know. I should go on loving him. I know it. It is a matter of sex. I think. It's like, wow, really? I know it. I thought that was nuts. <laughs> yes, that was a little much. Big weed here. We love receiving comments from our listeners, and so if you have something to contribute, comment, disagree, we'd love to hear it. We can be reached at bigweedshow at gmail.com. Just called Pigweed, but Crow Hill will listen to. But you can never take Mark Twain on face value, right? So how much is he poking fun at these stereotypes? Exactly. Yeah. That's right. So, I mean, the whole idea of canceling all this would be like canceling maybe, you know, what are the a first... A satirist? Yeah. You know, or, yeah, what, well, you know, maybe this is one of the first feminist tracks. In the- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Uh, maybe. <laughs> but they seem to lack the, the nuance and subtlety. They would just see the... Yeah, how about this one? I would work for him and slave over him. Yeah. It's too overt for, for, for Mark Twain, you know, to, to... I agree. He never says what he really believes. He always illustrates it and so goes you th- around So you it. think he's, he's exaggerating these things just for effect? Yeah. Okay. For, for, for effect, and, and I think the effect would be saying, you, you know, maybe the effect is saying 
that the relationships between man and woman are always a lot more complicated than these stereotypes. Yes, and he's also, uh, uh, I think, acknowledging that uh, men and women are different, and there's a lot of give and take and push and pull, and in the end, uh, you know, that's... Mm -hmm. that's how that's how we come together is, is from our differences. But I think some of that's pushing it. Yeah, uh, right. So, uh, right. She decides she, she she's she hopes that she dies first, uh, and then in the end says, "I am the first wife, and in the last wife I shall be repeated." And Adam says at Eve's grave, "Wheresoever she was, there was Eve." So and 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 he says at an earlier point, at the end of his, is that you know what, given given it all, I would rather be out of Eden with her than back in Eden. Yeah, without. you know that really surprised me because Mark Twain tends to be a satirical, snarky kind of a guy, and he's talking about the how the problems between them and everything, and then he ends in this very touching way yeah. about how they really love one another mm-hmm. and things really worked out and it was all good, which. Kind of surprised me. Yeah, but also uh, I think his take on the on the fall, you know, is because of course it's the original sin, right? But uh, as Twain's going, you know, I'd rather I'd rather have the knowledge and suffer the consequences. And mm-hmm. Well, that's that's actually it, right? a theme in Christian theology. Oh, happy fault! The the idea that the fall the fall actually led to better things that. You know, even though it seems oh, yeah? like a catastrophe, okay. that it leads to better things in the end. So, anyway, it was very interesting. Yeah, I, I and and you know, the, yeah, this this does really touch on again, also probably the debates that we're going on about evolution versus creationism. Yeah, and, well, and you can see brings up the brontosaurus in there. The, 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 the brontosaurus <laughs> and the that was interesting. But the whole yeah. idea about that buzzard, you know, oh my God, let's all eat eat the apple, so. You know, animals can die, so the buzzers can have something to eat. Yeah, and yeah. Adam's like, wait, 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 let's not upset the whole system for a buzzer. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be going pretty good here. We're going to introduce death and destroy the whole ecosystem so that a dying buzzard can feel better. All right, so in the same year, 1893, is the one million pound note. Oh, that was that one. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh... And this this one reminded all of us of that movie, Trading Places. Right. With, uh, <laughs> exactly. All right, Longinus, how does this one go? Uh, well, this one is really uh, yeah. Uh, this one was was great. Uh, let me see if I can summarize it quickly. I'll talk fast. Uh, he's living in Mexico and he has his life all planned out for him. He's making a good wage. One weekend he decides to go sailing. Boom, he goes out in the middle of the ocean, loses sight of the thing, gets picked up by a brig and towed to London. Right. He's there with nothing. nothing. He has like he has a pound, he spends the pound in the day, and he's wandering around, he's walking down the street, and he sees a pear in the gutter, and he's just thinking, God, I want to eat that. <laughs> and he, and he, what, he doesn't have the courage to go pick it up because everybody's staring at him. <laughs> the next thing he knows is there's like a knock on a window, and he looks over it, and they tell him to come in. And it's two old guys, just like in Trading Places. Yeah, Brother A, Brother B. Brother A, Brother B. And they have a bet. And we don't know what really the bet is. But what happens is they bring him in there, they give him an envelope, takes the envelope, walks out, opens it up, and there's a million dollar, there's there's a million dollar note in in there. Yeah, 
Because uh, he's pound. in London, yes, yeah, right. million pound. Uh, right. So, but then you, then you, then you, then you hear the brothers discuss the terms of the uh, of the bet. So, what what are they betting will happen? Well, the the bet will will he come back with the million pound note or not? Will he succeed or will he survive will 30, he make it or 30 not? days? Yeah, exactly. And so they will leave the country it. for this 30 days. Uh, and one says he'll be just fine, and the other one says he'll be he'll, in jail. Yeah. Sort of like trading places. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's just, right. it's, yeah. So, so the first thing he does is he's like, oh my God, he, he, he has this billion pound note. And he goes and he eats because he's starving. He hasn't eaten in a day and a half. But he knows nobody can cash it. And there's only two of them in existence, and one of them has already been cashed, and there's no, so he can't go to the bank and get it refunded. Right. So this can so the the, the 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 bet is this could only lead to ruin, and the other guy or right, can cause you because if he were to try to cash it, the bank is either going is going to say no. you stole it. Yeah, here you are, you you, you so smelly bum. You end up in prison right. you're trying to cash the, the right. Bank. Or can he actually? Turn this, turn this into uh, something good. So, right. uh, so he he does right. He and, and he doesn't re really really realize what's happening, but as as he gives the million pound note and asks for change, everybody is sort of starstruck. And the I, and he becomes he becomes famous. And he becomes absolutely he, he, he's, famous. He's, right, he's in the, and because he's, of that, right. he doesn't have to spend any money. Yeah, everybody yes. is giving him whatever he well, wants to some extent because there's there's. Yes, there's the, there's the restaurant that gives him all the food that he wants, but there's also a lot of people who are like loaning him money. They're saying, "Okay, fine, you know, I can't cash your million pound note, but obviously I'll, you're good for it." Ah, uh, yeah, because obviously you're good for it. So I'll extend right. you a line of credit. Yes. So he builds up a bunch of debt against right. you know against his clothes, against his hotel, against all these other kind of things, based on the fact if you have a million pound note, clearly you're good for it. I can go ahead and extend you credit. And his, now he starts building up all this debt that he's concerned about. No, in his mind, if he survives the 30 days, the, one of these guys is going to give him a job. Mm -hmm. And he's calculating, you know what? It's going to be a job. It's going to be, I don't know, somewhere between 600 and and $1,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So I won't mm -hmm. spend any more than that $600. Right? The, the debts I'm going to accrue... I'm going to be able to pay those off because I'm going to survive the 30 days. I'm going to get the cool job, and this is all going to work out. So that's so then he so that he becomes uh, he uh, goes to the ambassador, the, the American consulate, consulate or something. Consulate, yeah, right. Fancy dinners, mm -hmm. and yeah. meets a hot chick named Portia. <laughs> yes, falls, falls in, in love. love. Falls yeah. in love with the hot chick, and she, she he's going to use her to try to get the old men to ramp up what salary he's uh, he's expecting to get. Like, first he's saying, well, I guess it's going to be 600 pounds a year. No, 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 no. If you're there with me, we can get it up to 1,000. I don't know, 1,500, maybe 2,000. And after he spent the $600, he says, honey, I just gave myself a $1,200 raise. <laughs> <laughs> so now he's anticipating his $1,200 salary. And so I'm thinking, at, the, at that point, I'm going, all right, I see what's going to happen here. He's going to try to keep it under control, and then he's going to let it get the best of him. Yes, but that's not what happens, right? And and but what happens though is he meets somebody that he knew, he knew from San oh, Francisco, that's right. Old Lloyd, Lloyd, yeah. and Lloyd went to London and just failed miserably. Right, and he owns a mine, but he needs investors. He, right, right, right. and he couldn't get any investors. 
So he goes and he asks uh, uh, the, 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 the gentleman if he could give him a loan. And he's like, no, I, I, you know, I don't really own this million-pound note. Right. <laughs> you know? But, you, but you can trade my name. Exactly. You can say that I have endorsed your business. And now he's famous. And then, and then investors come flying in. And, 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 they, and the idea, which is, which is genius, is they use that investment, split the money between them. After he says, you get the first million, anything yeah. after that will split it. Yeah. So, uh, right, exactly. So, so he ends up earning... With the reputation, with the reputation that he's acquired from walking around with this million dollar note, yeah. he, he then creates this business opportunity, makes two hundred thousand pounds, and now he's so uh, the brothers free. come back. He takes Portia with him to the negotiation, mm -hmm. and uh, what's the deal? Yeah, it turns out that she's the stepdaughter of one of the <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. So, and he says, uh, well, uh, how about that position you offered, that, you know, that we offered you? We've got any, any position you want. He says, I've got a position in mind. How about son-in-law? <laughs> uh, because now he's got 200 grand, which, I mean, think about it. In the turn of the, turn of the century, which is 200 grand. Yeah, right, you know, exactly. a million dollars. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for $600 a year, it was a really good salary back then. Yeah, right, right. yeah. What is 200,000? If, if, right, if if, right, 600 is a, is, a, is a good salary. And so uh, that's it, and everybody lives happily ever after. Yeah, it's, right? it's, it's an interesting story. It's a lot yeah. of fun. I thought I, I had a much more cynical view going in, especially I'm like, oh, I see what's going to happen. He's going to keep ramping up uh, his you debts. Know, yeah, he's like, oh, no, I'm going to keep this under control. Yeah. I'm not going to do good. Yeah, uh, right. but it's not what happens at all. And, but um, but what is this saying though about society and and our our. Uh, our belief or our, our, our love of rich yeah. people, rich society, yep. and the idea that in order to open doors, you have to have money or look like you have to have yeah. money. That, right, that even, no, money even the appearance money. of wealth yeah. is yeah. enough. Because one guy said, he says, I could extend your credit. How about indefinitely? <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, you don't even ever have to pay this back, right? To get in the mm -hmm. good graces of the guy who's this rich, forget about the suit. You don't even have to pay me back. Yeah, so it's, the funny thing is, he's trading on two things. It's not just the money. It's also, realize that it was a very heavily class-based society mm -hmm. at that time in England. So, so it's also trading on being in the good graces of somebody who's in the moneyed class. Yeah, right? that's correct. Yeah. So you, you, yeah. Want, you, want, you didn't just want to you know, have a transaction where I give you this and you give me some bucks. You also want to be friends with the people who are in a position to help you. Yeah. And so he played off that. This yeah. is fascinating, too, now, and, and I'm not calling Mark Twain a socialist in any way, but this is also a time where you start to have socialist ideas becoming more and more prevalent in, in society, in English society as well as American society. Yeah, but I would think, you know, in, this, in socialist to the degree that... Or, or, a, crit a, a critic of... You know the capitalist system, same way J uh, Jack London mm -hmm. was also, but it didn't really, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it wasn't saturated in his work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. you, didn't, right. you, you didn't get right, that. Right. But you know the, I don't, I, I don't know if uh, there's a lot of emphasis on the specific injustice, as if, as if I've got something better in mind. It's just like just the general mm -hmm. unfairness of life, you yeah. know. 
Uh, all right. So that was Go a good one. Yeah, let's, we're done with that one. So the War Prayers next? War Prayers is 1904. And this is such, yeah. this is such classic Mark Twain. Is, yeah. Yeah. is taking, some, taking some like pious idea. You see yeah. this all through Huckleberry Finn. You see this all through Tom Sawyer. He takes some pious idea and he tries to tear it apart and says, well, you know, it's, it's missing this and it's missing that. And you see it in, in Huck Finn saying, you know, Whitta Douglas told me that if I prayed for whatever, I would get it. Well, I tried it. It didn't happen. <laughs> so that's, that's just classic Mark Twain. Well, here in the war prayer, you have the nation's going to war and everybody's all up in arms and they're they're excited and rah rah rah. Uh, with, the bands playing you know, band, and the yeah. flags are flying. Exactly, and, and everything everything's looking lovely and everybody's getting ready to go. And the, so then the the minister gets up and prays for all this stuff and the uh, and the angel of the Lord or something comes to them and says, okay, you know I'm I'm going to answer your prayer, but here's exactly what's going to happen if I answer your prayer. Hold on, wait, wait, but take the. Uh, but it just seems like a, a guy from the from the crowd kind of steps in after he's heard the prayer and the and so the so besides the, the prayer is you know bring our maybe maybe we have victory right. and bring our boys home safely and may you know protect our boys against the the bad guys mm-hmm. and it all sounds pretty good and, and the, this other guys do you. Have you thought it through? Have you thought it through? Do you realize what you're asking? Right. And, it, and so he kind of rephrases it, and he says, <clears throat> Oh, Lord, our God, help us to tear their soldiers to bloody shreds with our shells. Help us to cover their smiling fields with the pale forms of their patriot dead. Help yeah. us to drown the thunder of the guns with the shrieks of their wounded writhing in pain. That's my favorite. Help us to wring the hearts of their unoffending widows and with unavailing grief, help us to turn them ruthless with their little children to wander unfriended wastes of their desolated lands in rags and hunger and thirst. Yeah. Okay. So he's saying, you do realize that this is what you're asking for. Yeah. Asking for victory in war means asking for defeat for the other guys, and that means yeah. suffering and death and destruction, and it's a it's a horrible thing. So and he says, as Twain sets this sets this up. You got the you got the pious, uh, right? The pious patriotism on the one hand. Then he undercuts it with this here. But then how does he finish? But then he but then he yanks the rug right back out from underneath of you. Because yeah, what was that last thing? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, okay, so every so, so you're imagining that everybody is oh. moved by this guy forcing them to realize what is it they're actually asking for, and then it goes. It was believed afterward that that man was a lunatic because no, because there was no sense in what he said. <laughs> so, right? So, 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 there's this, there's this extremely sobering version of the what the word, and then he goes, yeah, but actually that didn't stick with anybody. They were really, they right? So they were still back with their original. Well, the simple, the simple version, somewhere in in, in the midst of this, the simple version of what he's saying is, you pray for rain. To help your crops, yeah. But maybe the next your next door neighbor doesn't want rain, so like rain is good for you but bad for them, right? So like you never really know the full impact of the thing that you're asking for. Right. And I'm here to tell you this is the full impact of what you're asking. Right. For. But the yeah. ending is that that had no effect on the people. Right. They're going. Oh well. What? Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Go war! Exactly. <laughs> Get out and, there. And my understanding of this is 
this was Mark Twain asked that this not be published until after he died. Oh, you're, you know, that's, yes, because I, I didn't see Because there was too much truth in it, he said. He said, truth can only come from a dead person. Because I think was his little laugh. Uh, but, uh, well, I didn't get that part, but uh, it was, so it's written in 1904 after he died. Yeah, it wasn't. It was found in 1910 and not published until 1923. So it was founded before World War One, huh. and then I guess in 1923 somebody said, "No, oh, it was the Spanish American <laughs> War, the, the the Philippine incursion in the Spanish American War." I think is what they what were, that inspired were, were, the, the what inspired this. Ah, uh, okay, oh. yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. What, what was Which it? would have been 1904. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's a gut punch. Right. Yep. All right, so we got one more. All right. 1906. I'm only going to do this if Longinus promises not to cry at any point during this discussion. I cannot promise that. <laughs> I can't either. I can't either. It hurts. So it's first person. There's first person female dog talking. Yes. All right, and so what is she talking about? Yeah, so what's, what, are, what is the whole vocabulary uh, That's so brilliant weird. dog? Part? Yeah, it's so weird. So the, it is so weird. the dog's mother... Um, <laughs> Apparently, it's like picking up vocabulary words from the the humans that she lives with, and then taking that back and repeating it to the dogs. It's like such a weird concept. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and and like taking these words and bringing them back, and then like saying, "Oh, here's this new word, spontaneous, or you know, whatever the yeah, whatever yeah. the word yeah, is." Right. And what's the, what's the, uh, what's the what's the first line? The uh, part collie. Uh, like oh, oh yeah, the, uh, my my father was a border collie, and my mother was a this, and I'm a Presbyterian. That's yeah, that's typical Mark Twain. But I think you know we won't describe it first. But I think that has some implications on on the deeper meaning. The Presbyterian part. Yeah. Uh, really. All right. So the, okay. so the. It's it's told from a female dog talking about her mom, mm -hmm. and then what seems to be maybe maybe it's going to be a bad situation. She gets taken to another family. Right. However, you know from the very first sentence, fantastic yeah, situation. Yeah, taken to a loving family. Everything's great. They have lots of money. They you know all the food the dog can eat. Everything's kid good. Kid and right. a, a, a you know a loving kid, a, a, a loving a loving little kid, a baby. Yeah. A dad who's a scientist and a mom who's whatever. Yeah. Right. So it all looks good. Yes. And then the, then the uh, the crisis happens where the nursery catches fire and the dog is, is about to run away from the fire and then remembers something that her mom said, which was right. that which was that um, that the the important thing that the, our burden in life is to be responsible and brave and self-sacrificing and you know work to help other people mm -hmm. and the and the dog remembers that runs back in rescues the baby and care like drags Drag, the baby drags the baby out of the room down right. the hallway whereupon the dad and scientist sees the dog sees the dog grabbing you know grabbing this baby with its teeth doesn't know Dragging anything about it the down fire the hallway and then lashes out in anger and breaks the poor dog's front leg with a with a savage blow with a cane or something, yeah, and then uh, and then finds out about the fire, and and the dog runs away to hide. Right, and so you're hearing the dog's perspective while it's hiding, mm -hmm. uh, and stays there to the point where decide yeah. the dog decides she's going to leave, but she has a pup. 
Right. She doesn't want to leave behind. She says, you know what? I'm just going to have to, now that I'm starving to death, I'm just going to have to face the consequences. And uh, hopefully I survive this so I can take care of my pup. But, of course, they've, at this point, I've already realized. At this point, they've realized that the dog saved the kid, and the dog's a hero, and they, they fawn all over the... They, they finally find the dog, and they bring it out, and People say, come from all around to hear the story of the hero dog, the and, then hero they, dog. and then they go, so what's with the dog's leg? And they're like, oh, well, never mind, we're, never mind. We're, we're, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> so you think it's going to be a lovely ending. Oh, my gosh, that story is so great. Yeah, you, you say, here's this dog... That does what dogs do. Dogs are such amazing creatures. You know, dogs do self-sacrificing things all the time. Here this dog rescues this kid, and you think, wow, the dog is now in this family that's going to love him. Even though it's now her, a three-legged and, dog, and, yeah. uh, it's still, you it's know, still gonna be, everything's going to be great. It's famous and it's loved. Except the, this, that, the right, dad. Then the, right, so one of the fancy words that he remembers his mom huh, her mom right. using is the word laboratory not laboratory yeah that makes a little joke right. about not laboratory and the reference to the scientist which mm -hmm. didn't stick which you know he just he just lays it out there right twain does yeah. uh if you don't get it and then later on they take the pup off to do some horrible experiment and the pup ends up blind is that right ends up blind and then not dies Right. And then, and then dies. And, they're like, and, 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 and the scientists are like, huh, what do you know? You're right. As if, I don't know, what if you cut this part of the brain? Would it, would it? Right. Is, it, is this where sight comes? You know, maybe it would be some yeah, experiment yeah. like, I think sight comes from this region of the brain. We'll cut that. And what do you know? You're right. You win the bet. Yeah. Pup's blind. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. So then. So, so it turns, what seems to be this lovely oh, story. And then in the end, you're just like, oh, come on. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, right. what a kick. And, and so they, so then the bit, they bury the pup in, in the corner of the garden. And the dog still believes that every, that still has total faith in his master, total faith that he's in a good place, that everything is going well. And it seems vegetables sprouting from the, veg, from the garden when they get watered. So after think, when they get, when they bury the seeds, plants grow up. Why so wouldn't that happen? Bury the dog. You're going to get a you're when you bury a, a puppy. You're going to get a full-fledged dog when it comes up in a couple of weeks. And uh, after two weeks of staring at that uh, at that grave, the dog finally dies. Jeez! Yeah. Come on, Mark. Yeah, that, that, that one's <laughs> a kick. Us. That what one, a that kicker. one's a kick. Yeah. Jeez. So yeah, I don't know if. Uh, not always a happy end. I know, I know. Well, uh, was there some? Was there some broader meaning, or is he just like, I'm just gonna rip your heart out <laughs> in, in three pages? Well, I think there was, <laughs> and I'll try to explain. All it. Right, so get to the when, Presbyterian comment right. you made before. I'm curious. About so, that. so, so he sets it out in the first sentence, right? And I think he is sort of talking about maybe not Presbyterianism in particular, but organized religion in general. And how organized religion is sort of this this overarching structure that we all that if you're a Presbyterian or you belong to organized religion, you give your faith to, and pretty much you don't question it whatsoever. Did this dog ever question his masters? Did this dog ever do? Did it, did this dog ever question his masters? Did this dog ever uh, have any bad thoughts about them? And um. There's also a couple other places in here, but I think that that could be what he's really looking at. I thought of Billy Budd. 
Hmm. Herman Melville's Billy Bob, uh-huh, yeah. in a way that the dog is sort of innocence personified, maybe faith personified, right. just like maybe some of the folks that Mark Twain went to church with were were, were gave so much faith that mm-hmm. oh I, I'm giving faith to the institution and not what the institution is supposed to represent. So I so I think there's some of those deep questions that that, that sort of come out. That's an, but how do you, that's that's a very interesting perspective. But how do you deal with the time when the dog is hidden away in the closet hiding? When after after he gets his leg, or she gets her leg broken, she runs off and hides and whimpers in the closet and tries to stay away from the family for all that time. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's two ways to do. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I'm just now I'm just pontificating. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, I think one of it, it, it could be from when you go from innocence to experience, but still keep your faith. Okay. Right. So maybe this is a this is a short story that questions just faith in general, hmm. and and the idea that you know. There's something that happens when you go from the loving arms of your mother and father and you go out and you get physically or, or, yeah. or, or metaphorically beat up by the world. Yeah. And you come back and then what do you do? You put, your, you, you you put yourself your, in the faith right. in that whole thing right. and, and give you, you comfort. And, and that initial blow could rattle your faith, right? challenge your faith because right. the world seems you know seems like uh, you know there's a cruel god that's running things that would allow something like this to happen to me uh, yeah I could see I could see the religious overtones so maybe his first sentence when he says my my father was a Saint Bernard and my mother was a colony and I'm a Presbyterian <laughs> maybe that's the most truthful sentence he's ever said in a short story it could be I mean I, I sort of interpret it as as the the mother dog was always using words in ways that they didn't mean mm-hmm. so I, I kind of interpret it that way but that's an interesting I'll have to think about that one because uh-huh. I was a Presbyterian for a while so I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll, I have to think about how that how it might fit in with this. Yeah, my mom wanted me to be a Presbyterian. <laughs> right? She took me to Presbyterian. Uh, all right. Well, well so there's some uh, there's some Mark Mark Twain stories. But yeah, let's not that's M-O-W. Mark. Twain. I would so I would say so. What I I just I you know I had this this collection here. Is, I don't know. There's got to be a hundred short stories in this thing, right? So I just tried to pick some from the full range of years and mm-hmm. the full range, but I didn't pick anything that had anything to do with Missouri or the Mississippi. Uh, so yeah. I think that. To, to, to get a real taste of Twain, I'm sure there's plenty that takes exactly. place there. Really in the need, I got really need to one in Maryland and one in southwestern wherever, one in London, which is a real departure for him. I mean, right, you know, the yeah. American abroad was not really a Mark right. Twainian thing. But yeah. anyway, it was fantastic. I've got a flight tomorrow, and uh, you're, you're going to take it along. Uh, why not? Yeah, very right? good. I mean, I've right. got a hundred of them to read. And, All right. So. All right, there we go. Mark Twain. There's uh, your shortcut to the classic. Enjoy some Mark.